Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is the 4th of July. And I, of course, thought, what better way to celebrate the 4th of July than to have an Australian on? Actually, I put no thought into that whatsoever. It's just the way that the the cards fell. Nick Cave is on the show today. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my interaction with Nick Cave Cave in just a second. I do know it is uh, the 4th of July. I do know that I never talked to Dane Cook. But every year, I well, starting last year, he invited me to his 4th of July party. And I'm not dropping names. It's just, you know, I wouldn't see me and Dane hanging out together. And if you've listened to uh, my interview with him, my uh, that was a uh, that was an interesting interview. That one actually, I think you can get that. Well, you can get it if you get the app, obviously. But I think that one's available over at uh, WTF Premium on iTunes, where I, I was cranky. I just quit nicotine lozenges, and I was I was addicted to Dane Cook. I got emails for that thing, man. Fuck for months. Why were you such a dick? I didn't even like the guy, and you were a dick to him. You were a dick. So if you want to hear some classic old dickishness from me to Dane, well, you know, sometimes, man, sometimes having a conversation is not the easiest thing in the world. I mean, today's episode is a good example. I had Nick Cave in here and look, I'm willing to go where anybody wants to go. Quite honestly, I'm not looking for controversy. I'm not looking to sandbag anybody. I just like it to be a conversation. And sometimes, rarely, uh, you know, getting by somebody's, uh, you know, thing getting into just organic conversation uh, can be tricky. It can be tricky. And uh, this interview with Nick, it was, I, I, I don't have any experience of Nick Cave. I don't know him personally. I've never listened to other interviews of him, but, but I was getting frustrated. And I tell you, man, uh, when I tell the story about, uh, you know, talking to him, you know, the Russell Crowe story is worth every minute of whatever I was experiencing. And I, I don't usually talk about this. Because people are going to, you know, have their own experience. I don't really share my experience or what I felt about an interview. But I do remember kind of like thinking like, oh, my God, please talk to me. Please. I was, I was needy with Nick Cave. I don't know if you can hear it. But uh, let me know. Let me know. So today is uh, the 4th of July. And as some of you know who listen to my show regularly, uh, know that I live in a uh, primarily a uh, Latino neighborhood. So the 4th of July started about a month ago. Leading up, just you get the uh, the random clusters of fireworks and gunfire uh, as sort of a palate cleanser for what's about to happen. I don't know how connected I feel. Do you, do you ever think about that? How connected are you? Do you actually sit down and reflect on uh, on how great it is to be an American and how fortunate it was that we won our independence and what a struggle that must have been? And and you know, really, I don't know if I have the mind. I don't know if it's a, a an empathy or an imagination to really picture you know, what happened for us to get our independence. And I'm not sure I know the history as clearly as I should. I know there were redcoats involved in Britain and, and there was a tea party and, and you know, we, we had to fight the crown to get our own place. And then there were some colonies and then uh, and there, there was battles, you know, gunfire and a lot of people died. And, and then we got we got free of it and we built some states. And uh, then, then the, states, the states sort of spread like cancer throughout 
and then we all got our own autonomy kind of under a system of uh you know the federal government and then there's the uh, the three branches and then you know we all we have a constitution and and then occasionally throughout the years there have been fights over this and that and and now we are are sort of a, a conglomerate of sorts uh you know all living under a government that seems to be um basically a money laundering operation for corporate interest and we all just struggle to be okay with that and hope nothing goes so horribly wrong and also like you know whatever's going on in the name of america is not you know completely out of control and obviously it's all gotten out of control and we don't know what the fuck is going on and we just sort of mind our own business and sort of plow through our lives hoping to get by hoping to to make a few bucks and you know and hoping we get lucky and just keeping the focus on ourselves Happy 4th of July, America. You, you, the guy listening who's just minding his own business and putting the blinders on and just saying, you know, fuck it. I do what I can. Look, I'm just trying to get to lunch. This, this is for you this day. You deserve that. America, you deserve it. You, not the states, not the collection of states, not the sense of community and country, but you, you little man little woman who is struggling just to kind of maintain and insulate your own narcissism that's what freedom is now come on you've got choices just go online you've got a million choices a million things you can distract yourself with a million things to say like wow i wonder if anyone else has seen this or my god is it wrong for me to jerk off to this or hey is that is did that really happen is this a legitimate news site oh my god i'm gonna buy some stuff wow I did all that and I didn't even leave this chair. What an amazing country we live in. God bless America or just bless America. And you're right to sit at home alone in front of your computer and have the experience of complete and utter freedom without leaving your chair and by being completely distracted by bullshit to make you not feel everything else that is going on in the world, which is mostly horrific. Look, all I know, folks, is I'm going to I'm going to go up on my roof tonight. I'm going to climb the ladder and hopefully, you know, neither me nor Jessica will fall down the ladder and make this holiday, a, you know, a, 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 a negative memory or perhaps a, some sort of tragic thing. We'll stand up there and just wait. We'll just we'll have the panoramic view of my neighborhood. There's no there's some organized fireworks in the distance usually. But, but they're usually just spontaneous blasts. You never know where they're going to come from, but you do know that they, whatever those productions are, whatever those, the, you know, wherever they got those fireworks, it was probably not legal and, and they probably should be monitored somehow. But you're grateful for that on this day. You're grateful for people breaking the law and importing fireworks that are you know, probably beyond what they can even handle. God knows if anyone's injured during them, but just for my roof, just for my roof, after I've spent the day online... <laughs> <laughs> poking around if i spend the day on twitter with my amazing freedom of speech to cause as much shit or divulge as much as i want to a you know thousands of strangers indulging in that freedom i go up and i enjoy the freedom to watch illegal firework displays blocks away and i just hope i just hope that you know perhaps i'll have some good food perhaps i'll i'll, I'll not get hit by a stray bullet that's another concern in my neighborhood people shooting guns into the air straight up thinking like well it's not pointed at anybody without really considering the the you know the the arc of that bullet it's going to go up it's got to come down hopefully one of those won't plow into my brains as i stand on my roof thinking like wow this is pretty great we didn't even have to drive for this <clears throat> oh. 
yeah, negative memory. Yeah, I don't want to lose one side of my brain because I was watching illegal fireworks and just a stray bullet wasn't even fired at me. It fell out of the sky. Maybe I'm being negative. Look, folks, we have a lot to be thankful for. We do live in a great country. We, uh, we do do what we can, kind of, most of us do what we can. Not really. Some of us do a little more than others. Some of us do a lot more than others. <laughs> Some of us do nothing at all and somehow rationalize that and actually think we are doing something just by thinking the thoughts. Happy 4th of July. Now let's talk to an Australian. I got Nick Cave in the studio. Hang in. You need a knife? Nice <laughs> knife. Nick Cave's un- undoing the knife. Opening the knife, which is a fine way to open an interview. Well, it's a beautiful knife. You know, I, I don't... Uh, it's got a grip. Yeah. It's a good knife. It was uh, given to me by a German girl who uh, whose boyfriend left it behind. And I'm just glad he didn't have it when I was at the... Uh, you know, when I was with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how that goes okay this is not live or anything like that no it's not live it's a podcast it's uh it'll it's go a up podcast. it'll go okay. up in a bit this is the new this is the future Nick. i don't understand the future you don't it's where you go to people's houses and you walk in and go what the fuck am i doing here what, what am i where am i <laughs> where why am i at some i'm at some guy's house well, this is not the it's way nice show room, business though. used it's to nice be. Room. It's, no, actually, this is kind of old school, right? Yeah? yeah, I guess so. This is old school. Right. Well, thanks for coming, man. So you're a scriptwriter, eh? No, I'm a comedian, and uh, I do this now. I primarily did comedy for the last 25 years and I ended up in the garage. I've written some stuff. I've I, noticed, some... I just noticed you have Final Draft over there. Well, yeah, I wrote a TV. I got a TV thing for like 10 episodes of a single, single camera half hour business. You're a screenwriter. I do. Uh, are we are we on now? Sure. Right. Yes. <laughs> I am a screenwriter. I I I was uh dragged into the business somewhat, I have to say. Yeah, how did it go? Well, I I was I was asked to do a script by John Hillcoat, a very good friend of mine who I've been watching, I you know, he's been friends since school days, really. Yeah. Yeah. And uh he'd been struggling with a a script to do an Australian western. Yeah. And uh, he kept getting people to write them, and they were American Westerns that yeah. were sort of arbitrarily dumped in, in Australia, and, and people didn't really have any idea of what, what, about Australia. Yeah. And that was my complaint with when he would show, as a friend, he would show these scripts to me. Yeah. And in the end, he said, look, you write the thing. Then. Yeah. And so I went, oh, I'll give that a go. <laughs> so you um, were so, we, so we wrote the proposition. Um. And uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing that, you know. Because I guess Australia really does have a its own Wild West, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole history there that can grow. You know, it's it's not dissimilar, right? Um, it's equally brutal. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's to do with you know genocide and. Uh, 
The standard uh, Western bad stuff. weather. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of heat and genocide yes, of an exactly. indigenous people. There you go. That's a Western. Then you build on top of it. Someone makes money and they try and, to forget uh, about it. And deny it. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you, how often do you, do you go to Australia? Do you live there? You don't live there anymore. No, no. I live in, in uh, the UK. And you grew up there for most of your life, all your life. I, I left when I was about 20. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to um, art school. In Australia? In Australia. Did two years, failed art school. Yeah. Had this sort of band, which was a kind of side project. Yeah. That got us into, you know, free drinks and got us into clubs and stuff, you know, that that kind of thing. What, what year were you looking at? I mean, like, who was... Because, like, I just read this uh, book on ACDC. <laughs> yeah. And... And they were huge, right? Oh, massive, yeah. Did you go see them when you were a kid? No. Never? No. Not your bag? Um, I always liked them, but, yeah. you know, I always like... We, we had this uh, TV show called Countdown. Right. And uh, they were off and on. Uh-huh. And they, were, they always were, were a riot and, and, and absolutely unique. What was it? And when, and when you were, uh, like, what, what kind of world is it? Because I don't you know. I mean, they were, they were kind of heavy, you know, they were a heavy rock band. Yeah, but, sure. But Bon Scott would go on countdown dressed as a schoolgirl and stuff like that. I mean, they were they were they were always very anarchic and yeah. and uh, and never took the thing too seriously. So. Yeah, a good sense of humor. Where, what part did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in the country, like in, in Victoria, rural Victoria, till I was. Um, uh, the 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 school that I went to, Wangaratta yeah. High School. Yeah, they they all had a little bit. They had enough of me. <laughs> were you a problem? <laughs> Cast me out into the world. Yeah, you were. Uh, were you a problem? No, well, uh, I had my problems, but um, both my parents worked at this school, and I think they kind of got oh exa- exhausted by by um, walking into the staff room and having their go, kid. They, you know what he did today? Yeah. They were both um, teachers? Yeah. One, my father was uh, the English teacher there, and my mother the librarian, so... So you were brought up around books. Uh totally, yeah. And yeah, cuz like I, when I listen to I listen to the new album uh and there's about three or four of your records I've listened to a lot in my life and it looks like you've done about a record a year for the last what 20 years almost. Well, it's, it's not really like that, but uh we Close. made we made a lot, we made a lot, yeah. And it just seems like the you you draw from a, a lot of it's hard to identify you know what? You're your own thing, and that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, but you seem to be influenced by ballads, westerns, you know, even tiki music. You know, there's like a, a lot of textures going well, on. Man. Well, we've been doing it for a long time, and you know, I mean, there's a the the the, the thing that I admire most about the Bad Seeds is really their facility to change and, and to grow and 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 that's really what we've done and that's why we still make records I guess what was the original band when you when you started after who, who, art school who was in it well I mean what kind of music were you playing then uh, we, were were in you a ba- we were in a band called um, The Birthday Party yeah yeah and that was very um, confrontational yeah I mean there was a kind of strange uh, fucked up kind of jazz uh, element but vi- violent violent very violent violent, violent jazz violent jazz yeah that yeah. was the genre yeah <laughs> and how long were you playing physically with- violent because I don't, I don't have those records like you know I know like what I know about you is that 
like I think the Tender Prey album was the first one that kind of blew my mind and I and I listened to a lot but I didn't end up going back uh, to all of the stuff but then like as records would come out every couple of records they seemed to lock back into what you were doing and it seems like all the women that I was with were you know Nick Cave freaks which is yeah. you have a profound effect on certain types of troubled women um, yeah I've noticed that <laughs> I've been surrounded by them all my life. I understand them. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, I think I have a deep understanding of troubled women. <laughs> do you have uh, sisters, or was your mom troubled? Or? Uh, no, but I, no, I do have a sister. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and the only trouble that she had was the fact that I was her elder brother. I think <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that guy's my older brother. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a very strange relationship with women in general around my music i mean there's some that 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 very much understand it and some that that think that it's an an, an anathema and that you that, that it should be stopped uh, yeah yeah that, that guy there should be a law against he's it. he's a demon in fact i think there is a law against it in some places <laughs> with some women with some men who say you can't well, listen to that record anymore um it's it, it's it's managed to get itself a, a reputation and and unfairly I think I, I tend to look at particular issues around uh, the relationship between men and women um, and address some of those those issues and um, because I write about th those sorts of things people assume that I am like that as right. a person so as I have that often often I'm sure you get it too well I mean I get it with songwriters I mean I've talked to guys in here before you know I talked to Nicolo in here before my and in, 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 in my naivete I mean I always assume when somebody's writing because that's what I do I write about myself but I always like in my mind you know you're this you know tormented cowboy of sorts that that takes on the big existential problems and, and milks the poetry out of them. That yeah, you're out I'm, there I'm, fighting I'm, the fight. that, All of that is true, apart from the cowboy bit. <laughs> I'm not a fucking cowboy. Okay. Uh, not that I have anything about against cowboys. I mean that in the in the best of ways. <laughs> a, a loner, a guy out there oh. against the elements. Oh, I thought you were talking about Brokeback Mountain or something. No, like sir. That. No, okay. no, sir. Oh, the other kind of cowboy. Yeah, I'm talking about the you know the real deal, like Road Warrior. I mean, any sort of <laughs> any sort of loner out there in the great uh, on the great frontier fighting the good fight. Um. Well, thank you. Yeah. Do you struggle with this stuff? I mean, like, you know, how are you with the devil these days? You all right? Um, I'm not so concerned with the devil. No. Um, Have you been? Uh, I, I think I took a lot of drugs. Yeah, which one? What was your stuff? Uh, kind of. Mix it up? Uh, yeah, yeah, more or less. Back in the day? I didn't smoke a lot of pot. Did you get strung out? Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, it, it went back and forward, all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and through that period, I became quite interested in religion, and and I even like went to church and stuff like that. You went to uh, church high or what, on a break? No, <laughs> I, no, actually, I, I had a I had a kind of weird. Um, I mean, I was insane around yeah. this time. You have to understand. Sure, and I, and I had this idea that um, if I went to church in the morning, yeah, uh, was, you know drug sick yeah uh and then i went and scored in the afternoon i was leading a well-balanced kind of existence sure you know? the yin and the yang the yin and the yang obviously um, yeah and uh 
but eventually I, I, I got that, um, that those sort of demons uh, under control and I haven't been into church again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so church the, dr- was, the drug thing took longer, of course. Yeah, so the church thing was just a reaction to... Well, to, the, the, the church thing, looking back on it now, is probably the more destructive of the two, I would say. I don't know, man. It's hard to figure out. You know, you got to hang your hope on something sometimes, don't you? Um, I mean, I yeah, I did my time with drugs. I don't really have a god in place, but you know, yeah, if you if you're out there on the in in the wilderness of your mind without anything to hang your hope on. No, no, I don't, I'm not so sure about hanging your hope hopes on things, but I, but I do, um, I do find that that our capacity, yeah. To, to want to believe in things outside of ourselves is something that's really endearing of the of the of the human species, and it's, it's in there too. I, I don't ridicule it. Uh, in in fact, um, it, it doesn't matter how corrupt right. and and destructive some of these belief systems are. I, I, I still I still think we need to be able to believe in in, in things and outside of ourselves you know no absolutely what do you what do you i mean religion religion i mean religion or the the idea of the divine and stuff like that to me is very much connected with the creative process anyway so um i find it very difficult to distinguish the two and for me i've spent the last i don't know 30 years or stuff kind of building a an imaginative world that is different than our own and that it is to do with magic and the absurd and and in that world um you know there a kind of some kind of god exists and all of that sort of stuff um it's just but it but it is within a particular imaginative world were you conscious of that when did you become conscious of that i mean is that a retroactive like a retrospective thing no i think i think uh there there was actually a moment for me back um around a particular record that i that i did it was a birthday party record and and i remember writing this song called king inc actually which was which was uh it wasn't the first record maybe it was off the second record Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there listening to that and thinking that there was something in there that that after making several records before that which were heavily influenced by everybody else and didn't have its their identity there was something in this song that was mine mm. and that that was new in some kind of way um it, it was a kind of character driven narrative song and and it, it sort of set the path really for for, for for, for songs right up to now, really that that are the, are about developing a kind of world that that um, is a different world than the one that I actually live in. So you saw yourself as sort of a, a protagonist in this in this world. No, I, I just found that it was a kind of there was something there that I could go inside and sort of lose myself and and. You know that that it kind of saved me from myself in some kind of way. You can't. You can't. Uh, you couldn't you say what it was specifically, or was it a tone, or was it a, a, an angle? Um, there was a kind of uh, yeah. It was. It was tonally. Yeah. Tone is a nice is a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Because I mean, you do have this amazing consistent tone <laughs> you know when i listen to the records you know lyrically they're all different but no matter you know what the the rhythm or the or the structure of the song is there there's something that 
happens. You know, you definitely fill a space. So I, 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 does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. And so I guess occupying that space is sort of what you're talking about. There was a moment where you realize that this is this is where I live now, kind of. It's look, you know, I mean, I ride in an office. Do it's you? not an un, un, well, it's not like this that we're sitting in here, but it, but it, it but it is in the sense that it's chaotic, um, and it, it it is a place that I go every morning. So mm-hmm. I get up in the morning get dressed, kiss the wife goodbye, and walk down into the basement and stay there all day and write. That's what I've done now for for many, many years in different offices, on different desks, in different countries. But it's always been that same uh, work-like process. Um, But part of that appeal of of that is that I feel that I'm enter, entering into a world that is of my own making and it's different than the so-called real world. Um, sometimes I'm spending so much in that other alternate world, the idea of which is the real one and which is not the real one becomes slightly confused maybe. But definitely there is something about... Uh, losing myself and 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 the creative work starts in this in this place on my own in this particular room do you and, get up and it, and it is transformative right you know i feel that i become um at, at one with the things that i'm sort of that, that i'm writing about so it's almost like uh it's a ritual space in yeah, a way yeah very much so yeah and do you do you get up at the same time every day or do you just kind of roll i get up it? very early i, I i've always got up really early just naturally <laughs> yeah um yeah in those moments where the two spaces sort of become indistinguishable you know what what, what happens in that moment how do you like you know you get lost in your head or you get lost in the narrative I, of I've, I've found that i've been able to separate the two yeah I've, th- I've found that it's essential to do it but i don't like to work creatively around other people and unless i'm unless i'm going into the studio with my band mm-hmm. um and even in the studio really for me that kind of private work has been done in right. the office i've right. sat down and i've written the songs and i've written the words and 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 it feels like that's been done right um and to go actually into the studio it's a different process to sit and work with other people but largely i don't um feel it's fair to inflict the creative process on on my children or my wife or <laughs> because it's a bloody business right it's a, it's a, it's a bloody business and and it's not uh, it's not something that people should be witness to unless you know yeah when you say inflict i mean cuz i'm curious just as a creative person myself you know, I know that's a it's a clever joke on some level, but there is some part of the creative personality that is a little uh, unruly. So when he's <laughs> unruly, selfish, self self interested, um, willing to inflict all manner of horrors onto onto our loved ones, God knows what we do it do to our loved ones in in, in, in the pursuit of our particular. That's right. Creative dreams. That's right. Um, you know, I think being creative and, and artistic, you you by by nature f- cast a long dark shadow over over 
over the people in your life. And I try and do that. I try and separate that process from, from uh, you know, my kids don't know what I do. I mean, they know I'm like a rock star and stuff like that because they can go on and and Google me and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Look at, watch YouTube and stuff. Not that they do, but... Um, so you try and... They like- don't think that... They don't, th- they don't see the work process that's involved in doing that sort of stuff. And when you get out of the ritual space, when you get out of the work mind, you, you behave like a decent person as opposed to a lunatic. No. <laughs> so, so you're still doing your homework. Well, no, I'm just a different sort of lunatic. <laughs> when you started out, uh, when you say like that moment you had when you realized that you had your own groove there, or that you could figure out there was this imaginative space that you lived in, when you look back at the records before that, who were your primary guys? Who were your influences? What was you know rocking your head? Um, you know, I, I mean, mostly American influences because I grew up in 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 Australia, and yeah. and and, and our, the influences that we had in Australia were largely through TV, right? And it was American TV that we watched in Australia, pretty much. Yeah, so. My, my the things that really molded me, uh, apart from certain, I mean, f- for example, we, we, we were, when I was uh, eleven, I'd watch the Johnny Cash show on oh, TV. Yeah, in, I remember in, that. Yeah, in in uh, in this little country town. Yeah, we'd sit there and I watch the Johnny Cash show. Yeah, or I would watch, come home from school and watch I Dream of Jeannie and F Troop and the Adams Family and. All of these, uh, you know, bewitched and all of this sort of stuff. This was the stuff that we grew up on, and 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 all of those American influences. We didn't. I didn't even see them as American. Yeah. They were just like the stuff we watched on TV. So it was actually quite strange for me to come to America, and people say, well, "Why do you keep writing about all of our cultural heroes and stuff like that?" And you're an Australian. And I'm like, "All oh, right, oh, you own those people." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very funny, though. Um, I don't know if you've said that specific list before in another interview. Maybe you have. But out of uh, it, just that list in, in, it, in and of itself explains a lot. <laughs> well, you know, those three, the, you know, those three women, I have to say, Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched, yeah. Barbara Eden yeah. from I Dream of Jeannie, and Caroline Jones from The Addams Family were the kind of triumvirate, uh, you know, uh, of my sexual awakening as a child and johnny cash was a way that you could and walk jo- through the world yeah. <laughs> and well jo- johnny cash i used to watch with my 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 mum and dad we we would sit and watch tv we watched the johnny cash show and i um there was something i picked up on i think as a child that that that, that my parents were ambivalent about this guy you know that, that he was kind of like a, he was like he was bad. Yeah, he was an outlaw. Right. Um, he was the man in black and all of that sort of stuff. And maybe from an, an early age, I kind of you got that. I got that. Well, know. he's a heavy presence, man. I mean, like I remember seeing that when I was I'm I'm well younger than you, but I mean, he was like that voice and just he was a big dude. In those yeah. songs, I mean, I love that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. he uh, he covered one of your songs. He covered what Mercy Seat? Yeah, yeah. In the end, yeah, he covered he covered the Mercy Seat exactly. I, and I mean, and I sang with him in in uh, on the next record. I went into the studio with him and on the and Rick sang. Rubin record. Yeah, one of those. Yeah. And how was that for you to meet that guy? It was amazing. 
um he was not well at all right uh but you know we were talking about the transformative process um that i that i was talking about going into the office and sure. uh, and losing yourself yep. in your work when i met him in the studio he was very sick you know like he was very frail he needed to be helped down the stairs he he had a um some kind of diabetes thing where yeah. when he went it went into the light it went from light into dark he couldn't see so when i first saw him he was blind and oh, coming down yeah. the stair being helped down the steps to sing this song together this hank williams song that we decided to sing together and i was uh wondering how he was going to do that uh-huh. you know and then he just sat down with his guitar and that, he just became he just became Johnny Cash empowered and Johnny Cash <laughs> and just started singing and it's like okay you know it's it, a it trip, was a, it was huh? an incredible thing to see it's a trip though when you meet somebody that you've held in a certain presence for your whole life and they and they're now old and fragile and there's a and there's a humanity. I can't. That. I can't begin to tell you what that meant to me, really. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Uh, was there a, a, a sadness to it? Um. No, I didn't find. I didn't find it sad. I found it hugely inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, he was an old man. You know. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't find it. You know, he was an old man still knocking it out yeah 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 and people have differing differing opinions about those those rick rudin records and what's your opinion of well you know i think there's some beautiful stuff on them you know yeah um um i I had jacob dylan in here and he he like he felt like that that cash was too fragile that that perhaps he he may have done too many of those yeah but you know i mean to, to to be if the way I saw it, yeah, I don't think he would have I think rather than it it it, it um kind of weigh heavily on it, yeah heavily on it, it I think it, it kept things going for him, sure, yeah, you know, yeah. and maybe maybe uh, but but I like the you know i thought I thought yeah. he did some beautiful stuff on those uh, on on those um but I, I have heard that that, that argument. Yeah but, yeah, but but I didn't witness that myself. I witnessed a man rejuvenated in the studio by what he was doing, not not uh, depleted by what he was doing. Right, or, or, or that feeling of him being used up or something. Like right, that. No, yeah, I feel for for better or for worse that when artists continue going on, it's usually what keeps them alive yeah, why, and you know, focused. Why not? Yeah, yeah. What else? Uh, what else are you going to do? Just yeah. sit around? Yeah. So, like, well, with Johnny Cash. How about, well, it seems to me that that part of uh, what you were talking about in terms of what you do with your music, I mean, he was able to tell stories. Yeah, there there seems to be some ballader element to, to what you do a little bit. Do you find, do you find that? Yeah, he's, he's a, he's a great storyteller yeah. in that way. And, and he, he takes command of a song and command of a story and, and you're, you know, you you've got to if you hear it, you got to follow the story. Yeah. Now, I personally, um, you know, I love that when Johnny Cash does it, but it's just the for me to write a song, I write narratively. I there's no I've tried it other ways, and it's just unless a st- unless a song has some kind of narrative element to it or, or visual element to it, I can't um, I can't get my head around it. So. 
Um, so you, and and I've I, and and it's something that that unfortunately is not something that I like about what I do in the sense that I don't think people should have to listen to a song and listen to the fucking story, you know. Like you just want to put on a song and you know, and it gets you in the heart and, right, just, and changes right. your mood and all of that. So you don't have to kind of listen to six verses of a. A narrative story that's going on type of thing that's probably, and, but that's probably the oldest form of song there is though i mean you it, know people are capable it might be but it, but for, for for me the, the songs that i really love are, the, are those kind of fractured things that i don't really understand and just affect me in a, in a particular kind of way so so i mean i have been over the years trying to develop a different way of writing narratively or visually that doesn't require that you hear the first verse and stick it out till the end. Started over. I was facing out. I need you know, to get get back into the story. Well, you know, and 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 I think that the the new record or the uh, the, the last couple of records I've done, especially this new record, it, it draws you in narratively. Yeah. But, but you're not required to to follow the story as sure. such. So. You can you can check in and out and grab little pieces if you need. Yeah, to. I mean it's but it is it, it is and you enter a world when you listen to this particular record and and in that respect I'm really proud of that. And when with this record the cover stunning. I yeah, that cool, huh? Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's my wife. I, I was going to ask you. <laughs> I feel blessed every time I look at yeah, it. Yeah, I would feel blessed if I were you. <laughs> yeah, I was steady on there. But. Yeah, yeah, all right, buddy. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to push it. No, but, no, but but uh, that that, that uh, has come under a certain amount of criticism. That cover um, by a certain certain. We were talking about Sam, these women before. Who? who? Just just certain. Um, People have thought that there was an exp- there he goes again exploiting women and objectifying women and all, all of that sort of stuff and, and I just want people out there who may that that it is it is my wife it, it was it it was a photograph taken by our dear friend Dominique Isman the French female photographer who was actually doing a uh, photo session about some another thing with with Susie. Who was in between costumes in my bedroom? She took off the one costume, was naked. I happened to walk in, and yeah. Dominic said, Go and open the window over there. And I went over and opened up the window. She took the photo and told me to leave that they were working. And uh, this photo, we just saw this photo and thought it was a beautiful thing. So, so it, it was very much a photo of a woman by a woman. And not set up by some kind of misogynistic, you know, well, that's uh, sort of ridiculous, sexist, uh, um, ridiculous criticism. You get flack like that about I, other things. I, I get it all the time. Yeah. Really? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, but it, the, I don't know what the argument is. I mean, what does your wife do for a living? She's a she's a model. Oh, so okay. <laughs> so she's a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, objectifying is part of the great gig. Yeah, um, but anyway, uh, it wasn't something that the, the beauty for me of that cover is it wasn't set up that picture. It was very much just a natural sort of thing that happened, and it was a moment in time. And and uh, I'm really, I really love that. Yeah, it's uh, a great cover. Now, when this record, in terms of like how you look at your records, like what was I listening to today in preparation? I listened to. Um, no more shall we part. I listened to Let Love In. I listened to Part of Tender Prey. Now this this record, 
you definitely seem mature, more mature, less uh, raw. And I and I'm going to listen again to, to for what you're telling me that you're you're sort of switching up your style a bit in terms of the poetics of the thing. But when mm. you when you, in terms of like not relying yeah. on narrative, yeah. When you go into making a record, do you is it just a is it is it a long is it one process where you're like I'm writing a new record or do you take a bunch of songs from no, a period? No, it's it's very much. Um, I start on a particular day. It's in my calendar. Today is the day I start writing the new record. So um, it's not, I'm not that kind of songwriter that's just always picking up a guitar and, and kind of gets another one and sticks it over there. Yeah. And eventually they have 13 yeah. and they go into the studio and record it. Mine is very much a project that starts at the beginning. I haven't written anything from, for a year or something like that and just sit down with that any idea about what I'm doing whatsoever. I, I, I go into that space feeling empty, uh, depleted, um, Do you uninspired, think- the whole thing. And and for the next three or four months in the office, I just work and work away and start piecing together little ideas and eventually getting myself a record. Um, so it's all words at first, not melody. There, there's there's a certain amount of... of songwriting that is music that yeah. goes into it but yeah. but more i'm concerned with finding the lyrical tone as you you say for, for the record so when you um earlier on in the career i mean you, you did you, you lived in a lot of different places now were these creative decisions i mean like i know you oh, would... to live in different places yeah no how'd you there's end women up... oh there's women. It's... always women <laughs> berlin <laughs> Berlin was lots of women. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what years were you there? Was that the peak of it? Um, just uh, I was there for three years and left just as the wall came down. So what record came out of those? What record came out of oh, Berlin? God. I don't when, know. When, oh well, uh, well, the Tender Prey. Yeah, right. Yeah, the Mercy Seat wrote well, that was written in Berlin. Um, that that record is fucking uh, intense, man. Yeah, I mean, in a in a way that's like raw as fuck. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, I haven't listened to it for about twenty-five years or whenever, wherever I made it. But it is. Uh, th- there's some really good stuff on that. What was it about Berlin? Because I have no point of reference about it, but it must have had some impact on you. Yeah, I mean, people went. People have gone to Berlin. There was a row, a sort of dark, romantic, sort of uh, appeal to the place. Well, you know, I'd come from Australia, where uh, in Australia I was under the impression because we used to get these these english magazines the enemy yep. and sounds and all of that sort of stuff yeah that london was this kind of incredibly interesting musical place and yep. if, if we lived in london every night we could go to this gig and that gig yep. and we'd look at the back page of the right. enemy and yeah and dream of what what could happen and we went over to london and it was the most deadly kind of dark miserable um place where where whatever was happening whatever had happened in london in the punk era was well and truly over and it was just uh, it was was washed up was that Um, early 80s yeah and 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 we went there in the winter and we had no money and uh, you know and we were just a bunch of kids from australia yeah so just trying to have a good time the big trip we're going to london (laughs) we're going going overseas (laughs) as we as we call it in australia we're going overseas yeah and um, and then we managed to get 
our act together enough to do a small European tour and we hit Berlin and we were suddenly kind of dragged into a artistic community that lived in, in you know within the walls in that little island that was West Berlin um, who, that who, was unbelievable and who was in that community well uh, the, the, the the German band Einstein de Neubauten oh yeah yeah who were who were incredible? Um, there, there was a there was a bunch of filmmakers, Vim Vendors. Is that where you met Vim Vendors? Yeah. 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 So it, it was just this kind of hot pot of kind of cross referencing creativity that was amazing, and we were uh, we were kind of welcomed into that world. And that so, must have been mind blowing because I mean, you guys were. You, I mean, you were doing interesting music and you were pushing the envelope, but like those guys seem like Einzerstadt and Newbarton. I mean, that. I mean, how did you uh, even take that in? Had you known about them before? No, no, we just went there. I, I beca- you know, um, in the end, Blixer Bargeld, who was the the singer and guitarist of Neubauten, came yeah. and um, joined the Bad Seeds. Um, but they were they were extraordinary. Did you? Uh, were you able to? Did it, I mean, I've never heard. I, I went into the studio a lot with them just to witness what was going on in those sessions, and because um, that had some momentum, it was like there was a lot of it, it was industrial, correct? It, it, it was industrial, but it, it was they, they were trying everything. I remember going into the studio, just passing the studio, and, and Blixer said, "Come down to the studio," and I and I went in there, and they were all sitting in the booth, yeah, you know, and not in the actual studio, in in the booth, and you could hear this. And they're all kind of listening to it really intensely, like that. And I kind of looked in the room, and in the middle of the room, there's this bad, there's this pile of awful, of of kind of guts, yeah. And this dog that was mic'd up, <laughs> that was kind of <laughs> eating away, and they're they're all kind of listening to it, going, hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this could be a tune. So so they they um they they uh. Yeah, and another time I went in there, they yeah. they had there was one of the guys, Mufti, who was a big, big guy. Yeah. And uh, there's Andrew, who who was a little guy. The, the, the Andrew was mic'd up, yeah. and uh, there was I came in, and I was hearing this, <laughs> and I kind of went in the studio, and Andrew was up against a wall, and Mufti's punching him in the chest. <laughs> With this little, uh, with this little mic kind of attached to him, and they're getting this incredible kind of bass drum sort of sound. Oh my god! So, so they were doing really, really kind of interesting sorts of things, and they made these extraordinary records. Well, yeah. as a guy that's coming out of Australia, and you walk into this environment where this type of creativity is happening, which I think is uniquely. Uh, Berlin it's at a that Berlin, time. It's a yeah. Berlin thing. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. how did that blow your mind? Was there a moment where you're like, "Holy fuck!" There, you know, there's no limit to what I can do. Or there, there, there was that. But I mean, we were already the the birthday party were already doing stuff that was um, that had alienated us from from what was going on in in London. Um, from we, like a contemporary pop music. Yeah, because yeah. because it had all become that kind of pretty safe sort of toe gazing, shoe gazing kind of. Music. Who were those bands then? Well, I mean, I can't remember. E- in the Echo, early and, I don't know. Oh, Echo, Echo and the, the Bunny Men. Sure, sure. So it was yeah. like whatever the dark part of New Wave became, in some weird yeah. way. I mean, it was it was kind of lame. To be yeah, honest. yeah, sure, sure. A- and um, um, I-, I thought so. I mean, I'll probably run it into that guy the next time I'm yeah. doing in the festival. But I mean, it, it was it was just that kind of period where the the, the air had gone out of the balloon, you right? Know? And the, and there was there was a lot of kind of very 
uh, uninspired stuff in the wake of punk rock. I sure, guess. sure. Um, but not in Berlin. So, well, not in Berlin. They, they were, they, you know, they were kind of, they were, they were pushing things, you know. And so, so we were, we were kind of, and and that's what the birthday party were doing as well. We were doing very violent, uh, confrontational kind of concerts, and they weren't translating in in London. People didn't know what to make of us, mostly because we f- we were from Australia. So they they didn't have a kind of cultural reference for us. They thought we were playing indigenous music, or they they didn't they didn't kind of they didn't. Uh, I mean, so, that, that's not to say everyone felt that way, but a lot of we weren't we were kind of misunderstood. Uh, we felt, and and in Berlin we weren't. You know, we and you do, you guys would do a pretty big show, right? I mean, you you're almost like, um, I mean, you're kind of, you're a big dude. And at that time, I mean, was it more like I'm, I'm I feel bad that I'm not as familiar as I could be with the with those records. But it was was it leaning on the macabre a little bit? I mean, were you? No, the the the, the thing about the the birthday party shows w- were that they were quite physically violent between what was going on on stage and what was going on with the audience they, they, they were kind of battlefields on some level did you uh, draw blood yeah yeah that kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> were you were you compelled by uh iggy at all um well, he was always a hero yeah <laughs> you know he was always so they, they weren't they weren't uh you know i mean if it wasn't for iggy i don't think anyone anyone would be doing that kind of stuff right know, so did you ever see Iggy? Did he ever come over to Australia? I've seen him. I've seen him many times. But when but, you were but younger, not, no, 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 not back then. No, you just no. kind of knew about it. We, uh, yeah, we, we, we just, uh, we, yeah, yeah, we, we, we knew about him, and <laughs> there was a small group of us that knew about him and knew about the MC5 and yeah. and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know. Like, let's talk about Vin Vendors for a minute because you know he's not a violent filmmaker. Uh, uh, no, no, not at all. And what in in when you first met him, about what point in his career was he at? How did you? Because I know you uh, you appeared in some of his movies, and you did some music in. in, in yeah, a couple, I've done right? I've done a, a music to a lot of Vim's films. Was um, it Wings of Desire? Did you do? But that? Wings of the Desire was the big one. It, it was his big film and uh, his big dramatic film, at least. And uh, I mean, he's done very big documentaries and music documentaries and stuff like that. But he did but, Paris, Texas, too, right? He did Paris, Texas. That thing's that, amazing. That that was Ry Cooter. Before that, oh yeah, before Wings. Yeah, I think so. Uh huh. And then then he did, yeah, then he did Wings of Desire. Yeah, that was a black we, and we, white. We, we were in that. We were in that. Yeah, it was a black and white movie with uh, wasn't Peter Falk or no no yeah, Bruno Peter, Peter Falk Peter, Peter Falk, Falk and Bruno uh, Gantz. Bruno Gantz, right? Didn't did, oh did Vim Vendors do the American Friend? That's his, yeah. Oh, that's that's a, a great film. That's a great fucking movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an older one. That 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 was that that was before he he'd made that before we were in we we went to Berlin seventies probably yeah. yeah that was great that film oh my god and uh, what was your relationship with him like you just kind of hung out or you you um, how does it work with a director I, did, I, I didn't know him that well yeah and then he uh, kept wanting to uh, have dinner <laughs> yeah which was a, which was a weird thing uh-huh. right back then for me to contemplate anyway yeah that anyone could even eat right. anything yeah, back yeah, then yeah, yeah. but we we uh we would have these dinners and he would remain virtually silent throughout them and and kind of 
and then we had the third dinner. I'm like, hey, listen, Vim, what, do you want to ask me something? And he goes, yeah, would you do some music for my next film? And I'm like, yeah, well, sure. Um, so, <laughs> um, but, yeah, and now, you know, I know him really well these days. When did you become, like, because it seems to me that at some point you shifted into the, a, a different kind of space because uh, when you talked about changing your style or, 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 or looking at, at just phrases that could mean whatever they mean to a person, I mean, that sounds like Leonard Cohen to me. Like, that's what sort of what he did in a lot of his songs. Were you what, sort of, What's that? Which is create a poetry that is not necessarily a specific story, but can have its own life. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and did, were you uh, influenced by him a lot? Yeah, yeah, I was very much so. Um Especially early on, yeah. Uh, it, there's there's the record songs of love and hate, yeah. Which um, I was just a kid in 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 Wangaratta, in this country town, and this girl I knew, uh, the sister of a friend of mine, had this record, yeah, yeah. And she had a little kind of bungalow out the back where we yeah. would kind of go and smoke cigarettes and uh -huh. pot and stuff like that or whatever. Yeah. And she just had this record by Songs of Love and Hate, and I, and and we used to play it. And I couldn't believe this record. You know, I couldn't believe in the, in how the, the stories and how sort of angry it was. And it is an absolute. I mean, I, I go back and listen to that record sometimes, and it's just this remarkable thing. It's so angry and kind of up wounded sort of record. And 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 there was something about that that really that, that had a huge impact. And, and opened up all sorts of doors for me. It, well, um, in, you know, in, in your, like, the way it made you feel? Yeah, I mean, just, um, you know, even though I was just a kid, really. How old it, do you think? Well, I don't know, like... 14, 15? No, maybe 15 or 16. Yeah. Or so. I, I, I can't remember, but, but, it, but it... Maybe, f yeah, maybe 14 or 15. Yeah. It, um... It just spoke in, in a way that a lot of other stuff didn't didn't speak to me. Have you had a chance to meet him now? No, never have. No, never met, never met him. <laughs> That's bizarre. I know. You know, we have a lot of mutual friends and stuff like that. He and, just lives and, down. Uh, he lives over here. He's got. <laughs> he's yeah, got, he's yeah. got. I think he's got a little house right over there, um, off Olympic. Well, the the the, the girl who Dominique Isserman who took the yeah. photograph yeah. for my cover is has done photos for his covers and she's a dear friend of both of ours actually so she's always sort of saying yeah Leonard says hello and I'll say uh, hello back I, I can't believe that you guys haven't been on a thing together or done a, have you done any covers of his songs before yeah I mean the first the first uh, song off the first record I think that the Bad Seeds did was a, was a, was a cover version of Avalanche Oh yeah, um, off that record. Yeah. yeah, and the guys that you're in your band now, those are the guys you've been with the whole time. Um, no, the 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 last original member left yeah. before this new record, Mick Harvey. Yeah, um, but I, but I but that that's not to say I haven't been working with these guys for a really long time. <laughs> you know, and you have kids. Yeah, I do. How many you got? Four. Wow, boys. All boys. Yeah, yeah. And uh, from different women. Um, I have twins. Yeah, they're from the same one. Yeah, <laughs> and then, and then a couple my other. current wife. Yeah, or my wife, not yeah. my current wife. Sounds like a John Lee Hooker song or something. Like that. Sure. Um, when my s second wife 
when my first wife left me. You know that song? Mm, yeah, uh, sure. A, a, a John Lee Hook song. Yeah, beautiful, yeah. beautiful song. Um, but uh, and and the other the the older boys are from different different. Mothers. How and and, do and you, they're twenty one. Yeah, they're so you got grown kids. Yeah. They know who you are. They know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> do you get along with them all? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Did uh, does uh, and how old are the twins? They're younger. They're twelve. How does that? Like, did that do anything? Did did that change you? You know, when you were because uh, it seems like the first ones you were probably still a little out of your mind, but the second the twins must have come when you were a little older. Obviously, did that change the way you looked at things in any way? Um, I don't know about that. Really. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, know. I mean, I I think it changes things in the sense that that. um, But but you know, like I I, like I have twenty one year old kids, so it's not like the first time I've experienced this sort of thing. But it does um, ultimately show you that there is something that exists outside yourself that that um, that that is kind of important. uh, what I mean outside outside of 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 the kind of the work that you do and all of that sort of stuff that that can not, not so much obviously that are important but that can bring you the, the, the you know joy and and, sure. and that sort of thing. So. Well, that's good. Joy is good, right? Joy is good. Yeah. <laughs> joy is it, very good. Does it does it not come easy for you? The um, joy. <laughs> No, much of what I do is joyful. Yeah. It doesn't appear that way. Um, but, you know, really, uh, the the working process with the band, yeah. to me, to play a gig or not always, uh, but if things are going well on stage, it's a joyful thing for me. Sure, sure. Um, and to, if, you know, going in the studio, it's a joyful thing. Being with my children... Being with my wife, these are these bring me joy, you know. That's good. So I, I am I like I have this weird idea that uh, everyone who comes from Australia at a certain level of celebrity has to know each other. Um, do you like do you do you know Russell Crowe? Do you? I do know Russell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know Russell really well. You do? Yeah. How'd that come about? Um, he read the script of the proposition. Right, which is a film I wrote with John Hilko, yeah, which is the Australian it, yeah. Western, which he championed and and uh, and was almost in, but that didn't work out. But we, we you know, that that didn't work out. But he, uh, we, he eventually he rang me up at home and asked me if I wanted to write Gladiator Two. <laughs> of course, you know if you want that movie, who are you going to go to? Nick um, Cave is the guy, and uh, which which for someone who had only written one film script was quite a quite a ask. Um, <laughs> did you do it? I did, yeah, yeah. And what happened with that script? It's it's um, it ended up you know where in 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 everyone's yeah it didn't it didn't make it didn't sit lot of that. When you did something like that, what did you bring to that? I mean, how did you? What was the story for the for the second Gladiator? Well, that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, very briefly, it yeah. was Russell Crowe. Wait, because he, I'm like, hey, Russell, didn't you die in Gladiator sure. One? He's going, yeah, you sort that out. And yeah, I'm yeah. Like, all right, so he goes to purgatory. Yeah, um, and is sent down by the gods who are dying in heaven because there's this one god. There's this 
this is Christ character down yeah. on 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 earth who is gaining popularity and be, and so the the the, the, more, the many gods are dying and so they send gladiator back to kill Christ right. and <laughs> and all his followers um, and so this was always get, already getting in I wanted to call it Christ killer and uh, and in the end you find out that the the main guy was his son so he has to kill his son and he's tricked by the gods and all of this sort of stuff so it ends with this uh, he becomes this eternal warrior and it ends with this 20 minute war sequence that follows all the wars of history right up to vietnam and all that sort of stuff and uh it was it was wild that is wild. Russia, Russian, you know, Russian tanks. And so that was the la- that was the last third of the movie, or the last. That, that was the last thing, and and. Um, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, a, a stone cold masterpiece. And yeah, and <laughs> what, how did uh, Russell Crowe react to that uh, when he read that? Draft? I said, "What did you think? Don't like it, mate." <laughs> 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 what about the end? Don't like it, mate. Oh, oh, oh man. Um, that's great. Yeah. Uh, do you like that script? I mean, do you? Like- uh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I I enjoyed writing it very much, and uh, I enjoyed writing it because I knew on every level that it was never going to get made. Um, so Christ Killer, the second Gladiator. What's <laughs> <laughs> what's called a popcorn dropper? <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, what about like? Do you know Nicole Kidman? Uh, I met her. Yeah. Is her briefly? Isn't isn't her family like a huge family in Australia? Like big cattle? I don't know. Oh. I, I, don't know. I thought they were I, big cattle ranchers. We, we're not. All, I know you we, don't all know we each don't other. All know each other. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, what about books? Are you gonna are you writing any more books? When you wrote the, you've written a couple. Yeah. And do you, do you set down? Is that a different process? Do you do that with the calendar again? Say I'm going to write a book. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you got to do that in some way. You got to sit down and you, you can't. Do a bit here and there if you're going to yeah, write yeah, a book. Yeah. It's it's got to you got to get on a roll and write the write the thing and and I I wrote a one couple of years ago called the Death of Bunny Monroe, which we're hoping to make into a movie. Um, you're going to write the script. It's written. The script is yeah. written. Yeah. And how you how are you going to get that done? Um, in Australia or here? Uh, in it's it's set in England, so it's going to be. Is that where you're living now? In by London or not far? In Brighton. Yeah. Do you know that? It's down yeah. underneath London on the sea. Yeah. Yeah. You live right on the water? I do, yeah. That must be great. Yeah, it took me a while to get into it, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I was never a sea person. Really? I mean I grew up in the country, um, and everything that happened that was of any interest or importance to me through my childhood happened down by the river. Right. <laughs> It was I was like a river guy, and we would go on holidays with the family to to the seaside, which I never really liked the Australian beach experience, and <laughs> which was just it was too hot, and there was all that sand, and there was yeah. that kind of way the waves just sort of lap back and forth like that. No, no drama to it. I mean, it was a family thing, right? And everything that happened down the river was much more secretive and illicit and and forbidden and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I was always I, the, the, the 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 river experience was always much more interesting. Is that where kids went to do their thing? Yeah, yeah. The dirty I, I mean, it, not just the dirty thing, but 
but but anything that involved sort of daredevil life-threatening yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of stuff jumping <laughs> off railway bridges and yeah, yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff um and um but now i live by the sea and i've gotten to sort of accept the the monotony ocean. of it yeah do you just go out there and you look at the ocean and i look at it from a window yeah does it? Uh, this, is the, this is England we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it's grey. Yeah, and, and there's pebbles and <laughs> that, that uh, seems fitting. No, but uh, <laughs> there's. It's actually very beautiful. It's very beautiful. Did you live in South America as well? Did yeah, it? I lived in. Because I read, uh, did some research. São Paulo for did you? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. No, you're doing a good job. All right. Um, I lived there for three years in São Paulo. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that. That was a woman thing too. Yeah. Yeah. What, did that have any effect on the? That, that was a woman thing and, and, a, and a, a, a real um, sort of, I was tired of living in, in England and I, and I lived in a particular part of London that was particularly grim. And, and what I, part and was that? Clapham. Mm-hmm. Sounds grim, doesn't it? Why, why, were you, why were you living in a grim place? I, I just ended up there. Mm. And... Uh, and I went on tour yeah. and uh, walked out of the airport at Rio and the sun was shining and <laughs> the architecture was relatively modern and, yeah. and the streets were swarming with beautiful women and um, and I, I didn't go home for three years. <laughs> Was there uh, did it uh, was there something creatively that was sparked there at all? I mean, like you know, when you talk about Berlin, I can see Berlin in you. I, it was a was a was South America yeah, compelling. Uh, it was compelling for different reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, I made a I made a record or or two. That I, I, I made some I did some good stuff there. But which ones? Um, I think the Good Son was done oh, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. and good. and the, whatever that one is. Let love in. Or I don't know Henry's don't dream. Know. I don't know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, maybe maybe some of that too. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I was there for a few years. So, and you know, and I had a had a kid. Yeah. Uh, and went back to England. But musically, you know, you're not one of those people that's like the the Latin field. In to be on, to be honest, between you and me, yeah, I yeah. couldn't bear it. <laughs> I was sort of. Oh, you know, kind of hauled along to every goddamn samba club you could imagine, and <laughs> and to be honest, it was the rhythm is it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's keep it simple. I'm a very kind of one, two, three, four. Kind of, Johnny Cash is about sure. as right, as complicated man. as I go. Well, uh, Nick Cave, thank you for talking. I hope uh, I hope we did all right here. Yeah, you did great, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's it, America. That's it. Happy 4th of July. Don't hurt yourself. Don't lose any fingers. You know, don't blow up any things. Be careful out there. Nick Cave was interesting. I told you that Russell Crowe story was worth it. Am I right? I am right. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get some merch. Uh, you know, get the Lipson deal if you want to start your own podcast. Uh, what else? Leave some comments. Enjoy yourselves with what there is to enjoy there. What have I got coming up? I'm going to be in Seattle next week at the uh, Sub Pop uh, Benefit thingy. I don't know what that is. I know it's for a good cause, though. I'm sorry, I just burped. Oh, my God. Pull it together. Pull it together, man. 
pull it together. Dude. Dude. Go up to the roof, man. Be careful. Be careful on the ladder. Let her go up first. Then who's going to hold the ladder for you? I got to have a guy come over and hold the ladder. I'm just, maybe I'm just not going to go out. Maybe we should just watch TV. Because we have the freedom to do that here. Boomer lives!